Food insecurity is a problem that really touches every community. There's 54 million Americans in this country that don't have enough to eat. And at the same time, the U.S. wastes 40% of the food that it produces. We're throwing it in the trash. So in my mind, this was like a, a logistics issue. How is there so much food available, but it's not getting to people in need? And, and that was really kind of when Move for Hunger was born. Welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. I'm Joy, and today I'm chatting about food insecurity and food waste with Adam Lowy. Adam is the founder of Move for Hunger, a not-for-profit organization in the U.S. that leverages good old-fashioned logistics to connect the dots between these two massive problems. Adam and I talk about his family history in the moving business, the incredible work that Move for Hunger is doing, and his thoughts on tackling social and sustainability issues at scale. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Now, let's talk food insecurity, food waste, and logistics with Adam Lowe. Hello, Adam. Welcome to the show. There is so much to cover. So let's start with you. Where were you born and where did you grow up? Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I was born in Long Branch, New Jersey, right outside of Asbury Park, New Jersey. Um, I grew up most of my life here, minus uh, four years in college. I, I headed off to Arizona, but... Uh, eventually left the desert to come back to the beach. And tell us a little bit about your family history in the moving business. I understand that there's quite a story there. So my family's owned a moving company here in New Jersey for about 100 years, just shy of 100 years. My great-grandfather started it, um, which means that when I grew up, I got to work on a moving truck, which is not fun. I don't recommend that (laughs) to anyone. But uh, my dad, my two uncles run the moving business. Me and my brother certainly worked there. All of our cousins worked there when we were younger. And, um, you know, growing up, I just saw my, my dad and, and his brothers really just support the local community in a number of ways, whether it's donating moves or donating boxes or being there to help uh, lend a hand. Um, so, you know, kind of, kind of being in that upbringing of seeing a, a community-minded company, um, but also getting that really hard lesson of like what it means to work really hard on his truck and sweat it out with the guys and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> earn, earn a buck. I, I think, you know, all of those things are really important uh, for me at a young age and, and certainly skills that I took uh, moving, moving on. Uh, I learned very early to work smarter, not harder. Um, as much as I enjoyed my time in the back of a moving truck, I knew that that's not what I wanted to do. Makes sense. Yeah, we've just moved house and it was, it's quite the palaver, isn't it? It's like <laughs> the whole day is just chaos and the guys are working so hard. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can, I'm, I can see, I'm, spo- I'm spoiled because, you know, it's very easy for me to move because my name's on the truck, but for everybody else, <laughs> moving is very difficult. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. There are some perks of the job, right? Of, of the family history, moving house is always easy. <laughs> Uh, and Adam, you represent the New York City hub of the World Economic Forum's Global Shapers community. You sound super cool and interesting. What does this community focus on and how has it influenced you? Absolutely. I'm technically an alum now, but um, oh, okay. in, I know in, in 2011, the Global Shapers community started um, and it was really a group of young people uh, between 20 and 30 years old, mostly uh, across the globe. Um, it was it was the younger version of the World Economic Forum's uh, Young Global Leaders Program, and it really kind of started in New York City. So we were the first hub, and now there are hubs really in every major country, city of, of the world, which is really cool. Um, and all of the people that have joined um, these hubs were really committed to social change. 
Um, that was that was the big thing that they were doing. Um, and through that experience, I got to meet some really incredible people um, and had also been able to travel uh, to some World Economic Forum events, including Davos, to talk uh, about sustainability with other leaders um, and just really learning how things happen in other places. And it's, it's always nice to be able to be surrounded by not just like-minded people, but um, people with uh, all sorts of views and coming in with different perspectives because we're very often in our own bubbles, especially here in New Jersey. I feel like I'm in a little bit of a bubble sometimes, um, but to you know, take myself out of that and put a global lens on not just the work that I was doing with Move for Hunger, but just how the world works. Uh, it was really an incredible experience to be part of that group. Gosh, it really sounds, it really sounds fascinating. I imagine um, Davos was quite an interesting experience. I have one other friend that's been, and she said that it was just a bizarre place to be with like a lot of contradictions, a lot of, you know, really interesting conversations, a lot of progress, but also strange to see like the wealth and the, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. And there were, and then, and then there's like 50 of us shapers and like all of us have imposter syndrome, right? Because <laughs> everyone you talk to, it's like, there's nobody there that isn't like, doesn't have some level of importance, right? You know, you're, you're in a, you're in a taxi cab and you're sharing a cab with someone and they're a, a, a world leader or they're like the head of a, a tech company. Um, and it was, it was just a really cool experience, but, but I, I definitely felt with, with many of my other colleagues, like, <laughs> like we, we don't belong here. Um, but, but at that same time, I will say people listened. Um, so many of us were kind of placed on panels and I get to speak on sustainability, which I'm obviously very passionate about. And, you know, I don't think my age really stopped anything. People, people paid attention, people engaged. Um, and that was another really great experience to be able to be a part of. So do they do they kick you out of the shapers community, or they make you an alum when you're over thirty? Is that <laughs> is that what happens? <laughs> uh, it's 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 uh, I think it's five years or when you turn thirty three. Okay, um, you have a bit of lead yeah. time. <laughs> yes, I am. I am now thirty five, so I am. I'm out. I'm as <laughs> out as can be. Um, but I still definitely engage uh, whenever I can. It's it's definitely been one of the few communities that I have really tried to attach myself and stay connected with. And I've gained some really great lifelong um, friends from that group as well. Very cool. Yeah. I imagine there's the opportunity to play a bit of a mentor role, which would be really satisfying, I expect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And somewhere along the way, food insecurity and food waste have become super important to you. How did this problem or these problems land on your radar? Yeah. So, I mean, had you asked me 12 years ago if I would be running a nonprofit organization, I would have told you you were out of your damn mind. <laughs> um, if, uh, you know, I, I went to school, I studied marketing, I got my marketing degree. Uh, I was doing special events um, for a luxury automobile company it was what I was doing out of college. We got to go to the master's and, um, you know, fashion week in Hawaii, like great job out of school. But all the while, my family had this moving company, and we saw that when people moved, they threw away all sorts of stuff, food, clothing, furniture, um, and it was the non-perishable food that was getting left behind in the pantry or simply thrown in the trash that really bothered me. And, you know, we started asking people, do you want to donate your food when you move? And like, that's all Move for Hunger was meant to be. We were just trying to do something nice, figured the moving company was in people's homes anyway, didn't really cost us anything. Um, but what we found was very quickly, 
the customers got excited about it. Um, they couldn't believe that a moving company was willing to take their non-perishables to the food bank for them free of charge. And customers got excited. And in a month from doing nothing more than asking a question, there was no organization or website or fancy logo or anything like that, just a question. We collected 300 pounds of food. And when I brought that food to our local food bank, um, that's really where I learned about food insecurity for the first time. Uh, I'd never visited a food bank. I, I grew up um, and, you know, pretty fortunate person, uh, never, never had to experience that. And when I thought about hunger before then, hunger was a problem that was very far away. It was in a different country. Um, it was in a big city like New York or Chicago or LA, but it wasn't in my county, Monmouth County, New Jersey, which is the home of Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi and the Jersey Shore. <laughs> and you look around and you don't see all this poverty. Um, you don't see homelessness, all the stereotypes that in my head at that time, I'm like, well, those people are hungry and I don't see those people here. Um, but the food bank told me that there were 140,000 people in my county uh, that didn't have enough to eat. And as I did more research, uh, I realized that you know food insecurity is a problem that really touches every community. Uh, it's not just the homeless person, if you will, that that is struggling. It is you know, working moms single working moms working two jobs that still don't make enough food to pay their rent and put enough food on the table for their kids. Um, it's your neighbors, it's your friends. Um, and now due to the pandemic, it's, it's so much more than that. There's 54 million Americans in this country that don't have enough to eat. And at the same time, the US wastes 40% of the food that it produces. Um, we're throwing it in the trash. So in my mind, this was like a, a logistics issue. How is there so much food available, but it's not getting to people in need? And, and that was really kind of when Move for Hunger was born. It, it wasn't born because I had this passion for these causes, which I certainly do now. But I kind of took the opposite approach. I figured, you know, if my family's small moving company could feed 300 people in a month from doing their jobs, what happens when you get others involved? And that's really how we began to grow. It's, it's actually, I mean, I would just want to go back to that stat. 54 million Americans don't have enough food to eat. Like that as a percentage of the population is massive, right? Like that is, <laughs> that is a, a disgusting it was, number. It was, <laughs> it was 37 years ago, but the pandemic has really ratcheted up the, the need. Um, and, and that 54 million Americans includes one in six kids, you know, one in six children not knowing where their next meal is coming from. Wow. Um, the people that were struggling before, um, particularly people of color, African Americans, experience hunger at twice the rate uh, of you know white Americans. Like that is crazy, and they are being hit even harder because when you think about food insecurity, um, it really is a symptom of poverty, and that's that's what's happening right now with higher unemployment and so many jobs not coming back. Um, it's becoming harder and harder to work your way out of this, to be able to make ends meet, if you will. Um, and that is why so many people are, are struggling right now. And I, I think will be for a while um, as our country makes its way through this depression that we're in right now. And, and then, of course, on the flip side, you know, the U.S. is the land of production, right? Like the, <laughs> the, the enormous amount of food that's produced, it's just outrageous that 40% goes to waste. And I mean, not only is that outrageous just from a waste perspective, like going to landfill, presumably most of it. 
Um, but but also from a sustainability perspective, you know, because of all the emissions that go into, you know, creating oh, yeah. that food and the deforestation for the land. I mean, it's just the flow on effects of that waste are crazy. So to be able to read. It's, it's read one of the biggest emitters of greenhouse gases, food waste. And it's happening at all levels. It happens on the farm. It happens at the grocery store when you, you know, if, if you if you buy some asparagus in a bag, they're all the same size so they can fit in the packaging. That's not how they grow. Um, there are carrots out there that have two points instead of one. You don't buy those carrots because you really don't see them. Ugly fruits and vegetables are real. And then you get to the uh, sell-by dates, best buy, use by, expires on. Like none of that really makes sense. Um, there's no official real meaning to that. Your food spoils when your food actually spoils. No date printed on a label is really going to be able to tell you that, especially because there's not a really great standard. Um, and then finally in the home, right? You know, there's, there's some other places that food is, is being wasted, but certainly in the home, when we're either over-purchasing from the grocery store or over-ordering from the restaurant, not eating our leftovers, not using every bit of the food that we're, we're chopping up or freezing things, um, it's, it's so simple to take some easy steps to avoid food waste, but we're not trained to do that. Mm. You know, no one, no one taught us as, as Americans, <laughs> how to avoid food waste in the home. And I think it, it wouldn't be that hard. Maybe it should be taught in elementary school or something. But, you know, <laughs> like so many things, right? That's not drilled in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're all guilty of it. I mean, at least I think most of us are guilty of it. I certainly am guilty of wasting food, um, you know, much to my own disappointment, but it happens sometimes, you know, so becoming more educated on it is clearly an important thing. But, you know, Move for Hunger is a super unique approach to try and solve some of these issues. You know, I think I read on your website, 15% of the food waste in the U.S. could feed 25 Americans, which is half the half the Americans that are going without food, right? And that's just 15% of the food waste. So it's, a, as you say, it's a logistics problem. And it's pretty awesome that Move for Hunger is doing something about it. Um, maybe you could talk us through what Move for Hunger looks like today as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. So when we started out almost 12 years ago, we started just with movers. That's that's what I knew. Um, and we've since been able to recruit more than 1,000 moving companies across all 50 states and Canada. Uh, we've taught them how to make food recovery a core part of their daily operations. So we've given them a way to do this and participate without creating the extra work, but also while providing value to their uh, customers and communities. And when you do something like that, you're creating a win-win. This isn't holding a food drive one time. This is changing the way that this industry works. Um, so you've got you know a thousand plus movers all participating, all collecting food. And the one common thing that they have is trucks. Um, they've <laughs> got this resource that was being under leveraged, at least from a social purpose standpoint. And you know, when we talked to so many food banks and gleaning organizations and food recovery organizations, if you ask what one of their biggest challenges is, they will all tell you it's transportation. Um, trucks are expensive, fuel is expensive, drivers are expensive. There's a lot of cost to getting food to where it needs to be, let alone to getting food to people that actually need to eat it. Um, so we realized that we had this resource here. Uh, we then started expanding out. We started working with relocation management companies and large corporations, um, ensuring that when they move their thousands of employees per year, uh, that they're giving their employees the opportunity to donate their food when they move by adding it to relocation HR policies. Um, we launched a multifamily program with apartment communities a few years back because 74% of people move without a moving company. 
So we were missing 74% of people that were moving um, just by, you know, way of those people living in apartments. So we now have more than a thousand uh, properties, 250,000 units that when residents move out, they receive a, a move for hunger food collection bag. Um, they can leave it in their unit at their leasing office, and then we'll get it picked up and brought to a local food bank. And on the moving side, you know, the, the movers will offer to take any of the non-perishables during the move. Again, they're there anyway. They bring it back to the warehouse. Once a month, they bring it to the food bank. Uh, the beauty is the food stays local. So for collecting food in New Jersey, it stays in New Jersey. For collecting food in California, it stays in California. Um, and through the receipts that we receive from the food bank, we can track exactly how many uh, uh, pounds of food every moving company or apartment community or whomever has collected. To date, it's more than 22 million pounds of food, um, which provides more than 18 million meals to people in need. Um, and we've also really found ways to expand to organize food drives and food rescues and capture bulk food donations and respond to disasters. We just uh, moved a whole bunch of water um, to the North Texas Food Bank recently um, due to what's going on over there, unfortunately. So uh, really a lot of this comes back to logistics and transportation and making sure that the right resources are in the right places at the right time without causing this burden of extra work and extra cost. Um, that's, that's kind of move for hunger in a nutshell. Wow. I mean, maybe it's a little bit unfairly naive of me, but I feel like, you know, it's, it, I would never have normally associated movers who I kind of, you know, in my mind, if I picture a mover, I imagine these like big, strong guys, you know, young guys, you know, who are not normally associated with social impact, I would think. Um, doing this work, it's like, I imagine that it's, it must be quite satisfying for them to be involved in something like this. Yeah, you know, I, I think the moving industry doesn't always get the best reputation. You know, because let's face it, moving is not a fun experience, right? So if you ever have anything to say about a mover, it's usually they lost something or they broke something, even though that's the rarity, but that's what you hear about. Um, but what we found is, and you know, I, I'm speaking by experience, a lot of these companies are family-owned businesses. They've been part of the community. They support a variety of causes. They don't always talk about it, um, but but they do. And, what, and what's been really cool, I'd say, is um, we're creating these long-lasting, organic, sustainable partnerships. Um, we've had movers that have joined the board of their local food banks or now that take their crew to volunteer. We've got some movers, especially during the pandemic, that were helping uh, deliver food from the food banks to some emergency feeding sites on a weekly basis. That is above and beyond what we've asked our moving partners to do. But they've now become community partners. And when you think about the role of charitable organizations, it shouldn't be to be around for a hundred years, it should be to solve problems. So I know that if Move for Hunger closes its doors tomorrow, there's still gonna be a thousand movers out there that are really connected to their communities and helping feed those struggling. And um, certainly the apartment communities and the relocation management companies all playing those roles as well. To me, that's what's really exciting here. Um, because it's become something that is bigger than the organization. This is about creating lasting relationships. Yeah, super cool. And just going back to your impact, you mentioned 22 million pounds. And I read on your site that in 2020, you made quite the milestone. Uh, maybe you can talk us through sort of the impact of what 2020 itself looked like, because that's obviously quite a tough year for most people. Yeah, I mean, I think when when we launched into 2020. Our team was super excited. We, we dubbed it the year of growth. Um, and uh, 
you know, obviously March came and the, the floor fell out and we immediately, like many businesses, we're just trying to figure out, all right, how are we going to survive? Do we have to lay people off? What are we going to be able to do here? Um, very fortunately, many of our partners stuck with us. Um, food insecurity being on the rise opened up some opportunities from some very generous foundations that helped fund us as well to get us through the year. Um, and we ended up uh, pivoting a little bit. Um, historically, we would organize a lot of food drives, but food drives weren't exactly the safest thing to do with social distancing measures. We didn't want everyone to gather together at a, a location. Um, but we had these trucks and drivers that were willing to help. And we started working to collect some bulk food donations, um, looking at companies that maybe had short dated products um, like uh, Kraft Heinz had a whole bunch of food that was going to end up in a landfill um, if we weren't able to go pick it up and, and get that food to the food bank. Or Sodexo, who had ordered, um, you know, 140 pallets of MREs that, again, they no longer needed and didn't have a home for. We got that food turned around and brought from Detroit to the Greater Chicago Food Depository in just a handful of days and got that food distributed before they threw it out. Um, no company wants to throw out food, uh, but it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge to find a place to, to bring it to. It's a challenge and a cost to actually get it delivered there. Um, and for every dollar we can save a food bank and transportation costs, they can typically provide, you know, five, eight meals to, to individuals in need. So all of those things being said, thinking about how we were able to shift our operations to try and capture those bigger bulk loads, as well as some fresh foods from farms and gleaning organizations. Um, we were able to deliver more than 5 million pounds of food last year alone, which is about 20% of all the food we've collected over the past 12 years combined. So it, it was a great year. We fed 4 million people. It did end up turning into that year of growth after all, even though we were in survival for half of it. Um, but now that we've kind of built out some new processes, we've built out some new relationships, we're bringing in refrigerated trucking companies and logistics and freight companies into our network too, so we can capture even bigger loads. Um, we're hoping to expand our impact even further for 2021. Yeah, I mean, I just love that it's become such an ecosystem. It's not just moving companies anymore. It's like this whole uh, ecosystem of people that are involved in so many different ways. It's very cool. Um, there's obviously moving companies. There's individuals, right? And, and, and people can, can you know, bring food to the food drives. Just individuals on the street can bring food to the food drives. And they can get involved in fundraising and donating. There's, there's so many ways to, to help support move for hunger, if, right? I mean, pretty much anybody can get involved. If, if you're moving, you can donate your food when you move. If you want to organize a food drive, we do the heavy lifting. We've got a lot of really fun campaigns. We just wrapped up our Spread the Love food drive where we collect peanut butter and jelly. We're going to be doing a Shark Week food drive in August where we collect canned tuna because kids like tuna just as much as sharks do. Um, we've got a number of uh, fundraisers that people can participate in. Um, we have a race team. If you're a runner, a biker, or participate in endurance events, or even just a walker that wants to raise money for a cause, you can do it that way. Um, I mean, really, if, if you're with a big company and you're looking for employee engagement opportunities, and I know so many are right now, um, to give that sense of purpose and meaning to employees and also do something fun um, because, you know, it should be fun to do good. And, and that's something that we really think about uh, when we're putting together our, our different activities. Um, or if you just want to make a donation on the website, you can do that as well. So really anybody can get involved, not just the industries that we work with. So cool. And so Adam, 
I don't know if in any of the stories of impact have, I mean, I'm sure it happens that they, they feed back to you, uh, you know, over time. I'm sure you have heard some sort of pretty emotional stories that have come out of the Move for Hunger work in 2020 or maybe even before. Are there any that sort of stand out to you where you've just felt so proud to have, you know, been, been, been the, what, the person that spearheaded this amazing, uh, this amazing organization? <laughs> um, you know, there, there's, there's quite a few stories. I mean, and I think proud is, is probably the, the key word there. Right. And it's not, it's less being proud of like myself and my own team, but more proud of the network that we've created and seeing what's happened. I mean, there was, there was a young person and her teacher in Lawton, Oklahoma years ago, ago that heard about us and we weren't in Lawton, Oklahoma at the time. And they wrote letters to all the moving companies in Lawton, Oklahoma, and they signed up three, and then they did a food drive at their school. And then that food drive turned into a district-wide food drive. They'd never even held a food drive before. And they collected so much food that the Lawton Food Pantry didn't even know what to do with it. <laughs> um, you know, we've heard stories from food banks and pantries that were just about to run out, but then we were able to, to make a delivery to them and help them keep going for another week or another few weeks. Um, you know, it's, it's stories like that, particularly young people. I mean, I love when young people get involved and uh, hold food drives or fundraisers on their birthdays or try ambitiously to, to fill an entire truck with food at their local grocery store. Um, we launched a new campaign uh, during the pandemic, which we called the Front Porch Food Drive, which was a socially distant food drive where we would provide food collection bags. They can leave them on all their neighbor's porches with a letter. They'd bring them back to their house and then we'd send a truck to pick them up. Well, this, this young girl in, um, in the DC area, she, she was the first to try it. And she said, I want a thousand bags. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, right, kid, <laughs> like a thousand bags. That's, that's bold. Um, and, and in my mind, I'm like, listen, if we collect 50 bags, a hundred bags, that's a good day. But I, who am I, who am I to tell her? No. So we sent her a thousand bags and we created her the flyers. We did everything we could to make it really easy for her. She collected almost 500 bags of food. Wow. Um, more than 4,000 pounds, fed more than 3,000 people just during that food drive. Um, shame on me for doubting her, uh, but it's also inspired so many more front porch food drives to happen across the country. And again, it's, it's stories like that that really get me excited. Adam, I'm sure so many listeners out there are inspired. Do you have any tips, tricks, hacks, ideas that you would be able to share for any aspiring change makers out there who are thinking about starting their own sort of mission to solve some of sort of the world's big problems at the moment? Yeah. Um, you know, first and foremost, have confidence in yourself because starting something is, is scary. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you have enough faith in yourself and know that you can do it and aren't afraid to fail, uh, I think that's, that's the big first step. I mean, I, I knew going into this and like, I quit my job. My friends thought I was crazy. You know, I quit a really nice job that sent me to Hawaii to start a <laughs> hunger relief nonprofit organization, knowing nothing about hunger relief. So A, again, my friends thought I was bonkers. My family was very nice. But in my head, I'm like, you know what? If I fail, I know I'm smart enough to get another job. But at the same time, I don't like to fail. So I'm going to do everything that I can do to really make this successful. Um, and there were absolutely bumps along the way. A lot of them, there's still bumps today. Uh, and it's just a matter of making sure that those bumps get smaller and smaller over time. Um, so you can actually recover from them. So 
So that that's probably the first piece of advice is really have confidence in yourself. Um, and the next thing I would say is uh, really talk to everybody and anybody. Um, you know, I have gotten so much advice from so many people that are way smarter than me. Um, I look to other organizations for inspiration. I've gotten to talk to some, some really incredible executive directors and founders over the years. Um, I've, I've just listened. I, I tried to listen and, and learn what's working. What are the processes I can steal, <laughs> if you will, and integrate into the way we do things? Like if, if it's already working, why create something brand new? I mean, some of our stuff is, is new, but most of the stuff is stuff that has worked and is tried and true. And if you can do that, you'll, you'll find success. Love that. And what's next for Move for Hunger? I mean, you mentioned that 2021 is going to be an even bigger year. There's lots of exciting things happening. Uh, maybe you could share sort of what is the roadmap from here? What, what, what else is happening? Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're first and foremost trying to grow the network. Um, we really want to increase uh, the number of uh, apartment communities that we're working with across the country, making sure that, more and more people have the ability to donate their food when they move, chipping away at that 74% of people, if you will. Um, and the second big thing is fresh food recovery. Um, again, that's not something that we did a ton of. In 2019, we did about, I think, 80,000 pounds of fresh food. Last year, we did 350,000 pounds of fresh food due to kind of like us pivoting a little bit and starting to work with some gleaning organizations and farmers. Um, and this year, we want to more than double that number. Mm. So. Uh, in doing so, we are working with refrigerated truck companies, freight companies. We're going to maybe experiment with a pilot and maybe even purchase our own refrigerated trailer or freezer um, to make sure that we can bring refrigeration to food um, rather than try to figure out how to get food to refrigeration, which is oftentimes where food ends up spoiling or going to waste. So it's definitely an exciting time for Move for Hunger. Uh, my team is working super hard. Uh, to make sure that we're able to deliver as many meals as possible this year. So exciting. Uh, here in Australia, we have a company, or sorry, it's a not-for-profit as well, uh, called uh, Oz Harvest. And yeah. they, yeah, I'm sure you would have heard of them. They do like collections from restaurants and from supermarkets and things like that. Are you planning ever to expand your network into restaurants and supermarkets, tackle the Walmart, the Walmarts of the world? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so no, funny enough. So there, there's a lot of really awesome food recovery organizations out there that are tackling things in that way. Okay. Um, I think I'd say our big differentiator is we got trucks. So when we're going to rescue food, we want to fill up the truck. We want to we want to get as much food to make it easier um, to get that food to where it needs to be. The restaurant stuff, it's a lot of food collectively when you add it all up, but it doesn't necessarily make sense to go bring a truck to a restaurant, you know, when you're really talking about a few containers at the end of the night. Right. But again, those few containers absolutely add up <laughs> when you talk about the amount of food waste that happens in the restaurant industry alone. So it's it's a collaborative effort. We are we are one piece of the puzzle. We definitely work, uh, you know, hand in hand sometimes with some of those other food recovery organizations here in the U.S. Um, I think that's been really one of the best parts about being in this space. It is a very collaborative space. We're all working towards that same purpose, that same mission. Um, food should not go to waste while people are, are hungry. Absolutely. Uh, and similar to my early question, but slightly different, and this is more based on your, your background and your interest in sustainability and your experience at the World Economic Forum and sort of your collective experience over the years. Um, if you could have one message or piece of advice truly heard by everyone on the planet, what would it be? 
it's not hard to do good. Um, and I know that sounds really simple, but I think there's a lot of simple things that everybody can do in their life. And just, you know, we mentioned earlier, like we weren't trained at a young age to think about reducing food waste. Reducing food waste in your home is not that hard. So there are very simple things that everybody can do that will actually create a pretty big difference if we can think about the collective impact of those, those things and those patterns and those habits. So the hardest part is, is changing a habit. Um, but once you get into a habit, you can create change. So that, that'd probably be my one piece of advice here. And what I think is so inspiring about your story and building on sort of your point about it's not hard to do good is that you picked up this problem that you could solve because of your family history in the moving business. It's something that you noticed through your uh, exposure to the moving industry, but also sort of that particular skill set of, of logistics, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Which I think is just so inspiring because it just means that everyone in almost any field can use their skills for something good. Uh, and I think that is, that is the key message. It's, it's very, very inspiring. It's, it's about mobilizing existing resources to purpose. Um, there are resources that exist in every industry with every company. How can you use them in a way that creates that win-win-win? Um, and if you think hard enough, you, you will find those opportunities. Um, and, and that's what's so exciting. I think there's just so much more that could be done, not just with food insecurity and food waste, but across a number of different issues that are facing the world. Um, I think companies and individuals just need to think differently about how they're leveraging what they've got. Absolutely. And Adam, where, where can folks, where can listeners learn more about Move for Hunger? Where, where do they go to get involved? Absolutely. Please, please, please visit our website, moveforhunger.org. Um, you can make a donation. You can start a food drive. You can find a mover. You can sign up uh, to participate in a number of ways. But the website is moveforhunger.org, and we would love to work with you to fight hunger. Awesome. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. So incredible to hear your story and about the impact that you and your team have been able to achieve. So looking forward to following along the Move for Hunger journey and seeing others follow in your footsteps. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We love the key message Adam was able to share in this episode. It's not that hard to do good. And Adam has proved that no matter what industry you work in or skill set you have, there is always something you can do. We hope that you are as inspired by this as we are, not only to reduce your food waste, but also to think about what more you could be doing to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time.